From the Twin Cities PBS Archives, a conversation with Paul Wellstone, originally broadcast in 1991. He says he was a tough kid and that the wrestling team was the only thing that got him through high school. His later experiences in the civil rights movement politicized him and altered the course of his life. With us on Portrait, Senator Paul Wellstone. When you decided to run for a senator, in the beginning, did you really think you could win? Or did you want to just have a, a chance to enter into uh, and help shape the political uh, dialogue? <laughs> um, and be a teacher. Fair enough. I thought, at the beginning, I would never have said to you or anybody else, um, I'm sure I'll win. But I thought I had a chance. And I guess that's the usual. To me, that's the kind of the way I mm -hmm. measure whether people should run for office. If you think you have a chance and you can come at least close, then for all of those reasons having to do with framing the issues and, and the education of it and mm -hmm. sort of standing up for what you believe in and having an opportunity with a wider form than you do teaching, do it. So the analysis, and it was a pretty rigorous analysis because it, you know, it was a, almost two years of just co constant, if you will, struggle was that we had a chance. Then, um, and, and in a way, it was almost as difficult winning the endorsement as winning the general election. So there were, you know, there was the endorsement, then there was the primary, then there was the general election. And each step along the way, I began to think that uh, we had an even greater chance. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest frustration for me was the media tends to buy into the pun the it's, it's, it becomes kind of like a pack mentality. Pundits sort of laugh about it, say there's no chance, tr right. kind of minimize it. Media says the same thing, don't cover it. And I found myself very frustrated because I would try and talk about issues and that I thought were important and just nobody was interested because they didn't think it was a contest. Then, of course, that makes it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. I really do feel that we need to make some major changes about the way we finance campaigns and, and also, I think, the role of the media. I, I just really think that there should be some insistence that candidates take part in debates and TV devotes X amount of time to those debates. And I think we've got to get away from this kind of cynical view that where these certain people that are kind of the the pundits, if you will, become the gatekeepers, and they decide who's credible and who isn't and who gets to run. And I, I really think it, 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 it locks politics in and it leaves too many people out. So that was tough to overcome. But as it developed, I could feel it. You know, in my, people used to laugh at me. I would say the pricklings in my fingertips just tell me that, that something is going on here. And uh, I knew the, the bus seemed like a great idea to me to try and get people to smile about politics. I had incredible people that helped out on advertising that came into the campaign. And, you know, there are names of people that everybody knows, like a Bill Hillsman or, mm -hmm. or a Pat Forcia. But on the other hand, it's just, again, we go back to what I said about the civil rights movement, Bob. There are a lot of people who should be really well known for what they did in this campaign. It was so grassroots. I mean, all the people that made all the phone calls mm -hmm was really is a very unusual kind of a campaign in American politics. Why, why did the campaign and your campaign and so many others become so brutal and so vicious? Hmm. Well, boy, first response I'm going to, you know, give, um, I fear is going to sound pretty self-righteous and I'd appreciate it if you just sort of Whatever. call me to task on this. I don't think I was vicious. I don't think I, I don't think I, I tried to, uh, in our advertising, 
what we tried to do was jab with humor. I didn't mean your campaign, just yeah. from your side, but yeah. I mean the campaign itself yeah. became so brutal and yeah. vicious. Well, I mean, I think that there was a, I mean, I think that unfortunately, and, and I won't make it personal at all, I think unfortunately the conventional wisdom about how you win is uh, you amass a huge war chest and uh, the main thing you do is you go television big and that's attack stuff. Then you go radio and that can even be scummier. And then you go direct mail and the sky's the limit because you, you, know, mm -hmm. you target your audiences and you can really just say whatever you want. And, you know, people will say in politics kind of cynically, yeah, the public says they don't like it, but it always works, right? Mm -hmm. And um, until we get a handle on all this, starting with all this money, you know, that, that just sort of dominates the politics, and until people just say, make it clear they're fed up with it, it'll go on. What happened in Minnesota, which is why that campaign was so discussed around the country was not only kind of David Goliath, is that people did reject that. Mm -hmm. People did reject some of the negative attack stuff. And personally, uh, I don't plan on doing it. I'm not, again, I don't want to sound self-righteous, but I'm not going to do it. And I'm not going to, I'll tell you something else, I'm not going to spend in the last two years of the six year, you know, then you get into your election cycle, I'm not going to spend my time going around the country at all these fundraisers raising money. I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm gonna, it's a it's a big enough job to try and be a, a good legislator and a good senator representing mm -hmm. people. I just don't want to do it. How badly though were you wounded by certainly by the uh, Boschwitz letter at the end? I mean, how how much of a personal hurt was that really? A lot. How did you and your family, you know, um, pull it together after that? Um, Sheila told me that she had always <coughs> feared that this might happen. And until we knew exactly how it was going to break and that she, you know, felt terrible. And I told her that uh, she shouldn't feel that way at all. And uh best thing I ever did was meet her and, mar and you know, or get married. Um, the kids were angry, more angry than anything else. Um, but, you know, that's, those are the times when you do pull together. And I guess the general view we had until we knew exactly how it was going to break, is that if this was going to be the issue that was going to hurt us, what could you do? Then so be it. it, it you know, that, mm -hmm. that's a lot of the way it is with me in politics. Mm -hmm. It's like if you take a position and it turns out to be that people don't agree or, you know, but, and are angry with you, but you, honest to God, think it's the position you should take, then, then it becomes existential. Then, then that's the way it is. But you have to, first of all, be really credible with yourself. So, and then as it turns out, I don't think it worked very well at no, all. Obviously it that didn't. letter backfired. I mean, it wasn't, it was close. I mean, the point is, all these other things that happened to make it very close, especially the grassroots part. And then in the last week of these campaigns, it's really brutal, and whoever stumbles loses. You can't stumble. The mm -hmm. pressure is immense. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to your youth a little bit now. Um, an article that you uh, were was, you described as a pugnacious kid. Were you a, a battler, a tough kid when you were younger? <laughs> Comes from being only five, five and a half, uh, and not that then. Um, 
I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I guess so. I mean, I was, um, athletics was, re was really my life. Was pugnacious and appropriate uh, characterization? I don't know. I mean, I, it's sort of always hard to think about yourself, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I was always, I know I was scrappy, um, always kind of mixing it up with people, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and I guess so, I guess that would apply. But I always had, you know, I, I liked a lot of my teachers, and I think it was, you know, uh, mutual. Mm -hmm. But it, I, I would have to say, you know, how you say, tough kid or something like that. I think probably that's true. That does apply. The neighborhood I lived in was pretty tough, and, you know, I was, but, you know, you kind of, lots of kind of fights, you yeah, know, and, and yeah. you know, sort of there was a uh, junior high, a lot of kind of gangs and whatnot, and, and I grew up with some of that. Mm -hmm. And the thing that was important to me is that, and, and for a while, I mean, for example, uh, you know, I never did anything that was seriously, you know, wrong or in violation of the law, but the guy that I was very close to, one of my best friends, went to reform school, then mm -hmm. ended up in prison. I, I hung out, as I say, with some very tough kids. Right. Um, and um, the thing that I believe saved me, it's why I have such a soft spot for athletics, was, was athletics. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely true. And I... It turns out that I was, wrestling was very important to me, as was long distance running, but mm -hmm. especially wrestling. And once I started to do really well in that sport, uh, in high school, everything else fell into place. It, right. it began to give, you know, I began to develop a whole lot more kind of confidence. Yeah. Did, were you angry as a, as a boy? No, no not, not angry, just, you know, it's who you hang out with. And uh, I was just kind of out wandering around. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were almost 50 when I was born. My dad was 47. My mother mm -hmm. was 44. And they were really, really were like, you know, two generations removed and really immigrants is really mm -hmm. what they were. And so when I was younger, I really didn't see them much. I was kind of like on my own. It wasn't until I got a little older, about the high school age, where I really started to appreciate them. So there were those kind of difficult times uh, just in terms of, you know, the kids you hang out mm -hmm. with. But then everything just really... Um, mm -hmm came together and it came together really first of all around athletics right. and and success there and then around meeting Sheila and we met when we were, I was only 16 and and so really it's been 27 years of marriage plus three more it's been 30 years right, right. what would you describe if you can your worldview or the shaping of your worldview during your adolescent years uh, junior high and high school well it goes more to high school like I say junior high it was more um, just kind of, you know, those tough junior high years. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of empathy for kids. I coached wrestling in Northfield Junior High for a number of years, and a lot of the kids that were in the team were the kids that weren't necessarily doing as well at school. I have a lot of empathy for kids that are kind of, you know, not doing as well because of my own experience. It's interesting how a lot of your own views come from your own experience. Right, right. And uh, as I say, a lot of a, a real strong believer in all sorts of extracurricular activities, not just athletics, you name it, band and music and mm -hmm. drama, because for a lot of kids, that's what gets them through school. I hate to see that cut. It's not the icing yeah. on the cake, it's part of the cake. Sure. That's what it was for me. My, my view of the world, I mean, I, I, the world was me <laughs> up until that time, I was, and, and athletics. And then um, I think it was more in high school that I began to really... Um, spend time talking with my father who was, you know, really the most important person in my life, my dad and Sheila, my mm -hmm. wife. 
Um, and, um, you know, he was a Jewish immigrant from the Soviet Union. He spoke 10 languages fluently. He was so conscious of the world that we lived in. And it, 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 what happened was, I guess we kind of developed this routine where at 10 o'clock, you know, every night, probably my junior and senior mm -hmm. years of high school, or if not every night, I was sometimes out on right. the weekend, we would have sponge cake and hot tea. Right. And we would talk about the world, about yeah. events, about issues. And I would just listen to him. He was in just the mo most profound person that I ever knew in my life. Why? What was the nature of his insight or wisdom? He worried, uh, he was so concerned about the uh, nuclear arms race and the direction it was going in, much like Einstein wrote a, an essay the day after Hiroshima, as opposed to celebrating what had happened, mm -hmm. wondering about the new age that we'd ushered in. He was ahead of his time. Life was precious to him. He always looked to alternatives to war. Um, he was always very worried about what was happening in the Soviet Union. He hated the communists. He wanted to see, you know, he was such a strong believer in freedom mm -hmm. and democracy. He also, I think, as a, in part because he was Jewish, uh, much less uh, R Russian background, was a very, very strong advocate for First Amendment rights and didn't, and you know, there was the McCarthyism and everything yeah. else. And I, I just, I think, learned a tremendous amount from him, a tremendous amount from him. And then both my mother and father, um, from the very beginning of the civil rights movement, while they weren't your activist activists, were there was never any question but that segregation was mm -hmm. wrong. Mm -hmm. So I did grow up in what you'd call a very liberal or, or whatever progressive mm -hmm. household. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, things that uh, people have told me about you is uh, it goes back to your athletics and your, your sense of competition and competitiveness. And uh, I was wondering if your sense of competition, your sense of really focusing on your issue and going for it, do you think that ever creates blind spots in you where maybe you don't see some other subtleties or nuances on the side or maybe don't listen to the uh, other side and other points of view as well as perhaps you might? I think all of us have got blind spots. I mean, you know, yeah. all of us do. And although I don't like the word blind spots, okay. the more I think about it, it's kind of a, uh, but I think all of us, all of us um, can always be more open to other ideas. I mean, you know, it's hard to be objective about yourself, but that's for sure. And uh, political truth can be elusive, and the world can be pretty complicated, and issues can be pretty complicated. And sometimes in the heat of battle and in political conflict, without a doubt, I mean, I think I'm guilty of it, and I think other people are guilty of it, too. You, you may not be listening to others the way you should. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that happens. Mm -hmm. um, on the other hand, it's like Fiddler on the Roof on the one hand, on the other hand. On the other hand, for me, um, I'm impatient. I want, I think big changes need to take place. I hate to see people suffer. I, I, I have a lot of indignation about the pain of people. If I see a child that doesn't have health care or an eight-year-old kid that's beaten down who has no hope, you know, and, has, has, uh, and is not going to have the same opportunity, um, or I see, you know, toxic chemicals being spewed into the, into the air, and I know that this should change, then I come into it with a lot of, if you will, fire in my belly, with a lot of determination to, to push it. And if it means taking on people with a lot of power, so be it. If it means rocking the boat, so be it. If it means that there are certain people who are going to say, this guy, you know, just got here, 
and you know what the hell is he doing I mean why is he in the middle of everything here he's not going along at all and he's better learn that if you don't go along you're not you're not gonna get along and you're not gonna I, I I'm willing to challenge that because I I came to the Senate to 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 to, to challenge this I mean I said I would when I campaigned I actually in a way don't think I've gone back on any if you will campaign promise but of but the tricky thing is, at the same time you do that, you always need to try and um, develop good friendships with people. You never attack for the sake of attacking. You should never make an enemy when it's unnecessary to make an enemy. I mean, I think that's a huge mistake. And plus, there's another world besides the political world, you know, where there is a time to, to to enjoy other people, to laugh with others, agree or disagree. And so you kind of have to find the balance. Mm -hmm. I also understand that you've, uh, you've gotten to talk a lot with Orrin Hatch, the uh, <laughs> a tall, conservative, well-groomed senator from Utah. Yeah. What kind of a rapport or relationship have you struck up with him, and how has it been instructive or helpful for well, you? Well, I'd like to have, it's one of these things where I have not had a time to have breakfast or, or lunch with several people that I'd really like to sit down with and I would put him at the top of the list. Oren uh, did something that I will always appreciate. I mean, I'm a, to me, politics is very personal too. And um, Oren came up to me probably at the most difficult time when I was under the most attack, you know, every, seemed like everywhere, for positions that I'd taken on the war, position I'd taken on the war and how, and, um, he just said um, something like, you know, it's his quote, I, I'm not, something like, um, you know, you're principled and sometimes people who are principled are the ones that are under the most attack, but in the long run, it's going to serve you well here. And uh, we've talked some since and uh, I like him. People kid me in our office they say well yeah but see he was a boxer and <laughs> it's no wonder you get a little the two of you get along <laughs> who knows what about your relationship to um, the left or the extreme left I mean many people uh, in that uh, uh, area felt they were your your basis yeah. um, have you gotten any flack from them? I mean, is there, one gets a sense, you know, you hear terms like politically correct thinking or way yeah. over on the left. I mean, uh, well, I don't even know. I always said during the campaign, you know, to me, the labels were sort of kind of irrelevant. I mean, it's to me, it's not left, right or center. It's a politics that sort of comes, connects to people's lives. I mean, certainly I represent a pretty strong politics, liberal politics, whatever label you want to use, and populist politics. Mm -hmm. um, I find myself uh, sometimes in agreement with conservatives in the Senate. Everybody sort of smiles about that. I have a real distrust of concentrated economic power, for example. And there are some of those Main Street conservatives that agree with me on that. I would say that uh, within the progressive community or whatever label you want to use in Minnesota or around the country, most of what I have received has been, you know, real strong support because I've been pretty outspoken on the issue since I've come to Washington. I think there were people who disagreed with me on the Gulf. I had, I had supported our sending in troops, thought we should initially. As um, a defensive measure. That's right. I, didn't, I wanted to go the route of economic sanctions, still believe we should have. Uh, and there were people who were angry with me for that. But that was my position. <laughs> that was my intellectually honest position. And I said that. Um, 
So, uh, and I suppose there were people who somehow wanted me to do more in the Senate, but I tried to, you know, to the very end, continue to express my disagreement with the policy direction. And, uh, uh, you know, but I think in general most people have been supportive. Apparently some, you know, some people have been disappointed and think I should have done more, but I don't know what else I could have done. Mm -hmm. And some people didn't agree with me. But I've said to people before, some who were angry at me who disagree with me, quote, on the left, if mm -hmm. we want to use that label, look, you wouldn't think much of me if just because, you know, you were coming here and saying this, I would change the position from what I honestly believe. I have to go, you know, we have this sort of saying in politics about how you got to go with your gut instinct. You got, I have to do that. I have to go with what feels right to me. Mm -hmm. I listen to everybody, of course, but ultimately I have to make that decision. That can be costly, and in terms of your position <laughs> um, and with the Gulf War, yeah. I also understood that you, you've had death threats. Yeah. But what, how, what, were there many? I mean, what happened, or how, how were they dealt with? Well, one is one too many. There were, there were yeah, it was, I would say that the past several months have been a time in my adult life where I've really had to dig deep. I mean, over the years, I've been involved in lots of, political conflict and lots of struggles, quite often taking a minority position. Uh, always felt good because it's what I believed in. Um, the death threats were awful, and it made me wonder whether any of it was worth it. The attacks, you know, some of the attacks were, I couldn't believe, mm -hmm. I couldn't believe, you know, uh, wimp jokes about virility because I had concerns about war and loss of life in the war. I couldn't believe it, kind of, you know, radio shows and everything else. That was difficult to take. Part of it was because I'm a fighter and I wanted to fight back, not quite sure how you fight that kind of stuff. Part of it was because I found it kind of perplexing. I was sort of surprised that people were thinking that way, really, mm -hmm. um, and that anybody would kind of trivialize a kind of life and death, war and peace question that way. It was hard. It was hard. Then there was, uh, you know, the down in the polls, and then for, and then for four or five weeks after, the same story. You know, everything is poll driven, mm -hmm. and uh, all about down the polls. Even long after, people were starting to say to me, and people pretty wonderful in this state. I mean, we're saying, look, we don't agree with you on this, but, you know, and so it's been that's been the most difficult period of time. But, um, you know, I've said to a lot of people that I'm close to, um, including a lot of the you know, parents and husbands or wives of men and women that have come back from the Gulf that, um, I mean, I'm, I remember when everyone left and how terrified we all were. I mean, I can't help but be prayerfully thankful that so few Americans died. Although, you know, just from knowing the Turner family, one is one too many. Um, but by the same token, several hundred thousand people have died. I mean, people in Kuwait, people in Iraq. Mm -hmm and uh, the Kurds, and it doesn't look to me like it's a more peaceful or stable or loving world or a better world order. And um, for being concerned about loss of life and for always wondering what, where this would all take us, which I all said as a matter of the record, I have no regret because it was my honest view. And in a lot of ways I'll never sort of do I told you so or anything mm -hmm. else. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought we would, I was feared we'd lose a lot of troops in the ground war. I always used to say, I want to be wrong. I was wrong. I'm glad. 
But in terms of the concern I had about where it would all take us and what would a victory mean, I mean, I don't, unfortunately, I don't think I was wrong. I don't see it being, a, a, I don't see that region of the world being more stable or more democratic or more peaceful. What was, uh, and Saddam Hussein is still in power. I mean, there's so yeah. many ironies to all of this. And I feel, I feel like, uh, well, I'm sad. Go ahead. No, I'm not sad. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I just want to ask you about uh, Sheila, your, your wife's reaction to the, to the threats. She was more worried than and how really you worried. She was really worried. I tried to, for the kids not to know. But then we felt they had to know because we were worried about them. Sure. Uh, was there any protection? I hated you? it. I couldn't believe it, sort of. It just right. made me wonder. Right. Sheila was pretty fearful about it, I think. Right. And I tried. Um, and for a while, um, I think we tried to be careful back in the state. And for a while, we had somebody walking with me everywhere in the Capitol. And I just yeah. got sick of it. I just yeah. said, I can't live this way. Just I don't want to do it yeah. this way. So I didn't. Sure. I'll tell you, the Capitol Hill police were incredible. And we become, they become, like in the toughest times, like this uh, black woman said to me the other day, I'll never forget it. It had to be, it was like one of the toughest days for me in terms of a kind of a yet another media story that I just thought had no relationship to what was going mm -hmm. on. I couldn't believe it. Nothing to do with what mm -hmm. I'm doing in the right. Senate. You know, you sometimes look at it and it gets frustrating. And I, I don't even know why. The timing was so, it was just almost mysterious. And I walked by her and she stopped me and she said, this is what she said. I'm not, I hope she's right. but." She said, from the day you came here, we've always known where you're coming from. And Senator, I pray for you every day. And they need you here. They may not think they need you here, but you're different. You mix it up with people. You say what you believe. And I'm going to pray for you every day. And the police there and the support staff have become some of the closest friends mm -hmm. I have. I, I stay to work late at night. And I talk a lot with them on my way back home. And, it's been, they, they, they've been wonderful mm -hmm. from protection all the way through. Right, right, right. Some good friends. Well, Senator Paul Wilson, I'd like to thank you very much for being with us here tonight on Portrait. Thank you, Bob. Funding for this TPT archival podcast was made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.